Hebrews. That's right, we're going to go back to Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 10. And as you make your way there, uh, I don't do this often, but I want to commend a book to you uh, outside of your Bible. Uh, If you need to read one book, you only have time to read one book, read your Bible. It will benefit you enormously, right? Uh, What translation should you get? Whichever one you will read, right? That is the best one, right? But I want to commend this book to you as well. Uh, it's called, it's the, the writer's name is Kevin DeYoung. Kevin is a pastor at University Reformed Church up in, uh, up in Michigan, across from the University of Michigan, actually, I think. Uh, but anyway, the book is called The Hole in Our Holiness. And if you are curious what the hole is, the hole is that we're not all that concerned about being holy. And I want to commend this book to you in just by way of encouragement in your spiritual reading. Uh, in addition to your Bible, you know, some spiritual reading from some other godly men and women uh, would be good for you. Uh, and The Hole in Our Holiness is not a big book, but it is a, a powerful book to encourage you in, uh, in life change, uh, in developing what Hebrews says, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, we're going to be, with the past few weeks, you know, we've taken a, a break from our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, this morning we're headed back into it. And we need to buckle our seat belts. Uh, we, those, the seats you have do not come with the overhead harnesses like they have on the roller coasters, but they probably need to. Because this is, this section of Hebrews is, contains one of the last and probably the strongest warnings that are written to a church in the entire Bible. And certainly in the book of Hebrews, this is the one where the writer tells it with the bark on, if you will. And it is some strong meat and strong drink. And so we need to buckle our seat belts, and uh, we're going to get into the text. And I want to pray before we do that, so let's do so. Father, we thank you that your word is the word of grace, that it is the word that is good for us. And we thank you also that your word of grace comes to us in various forms, not simply encouragement that comforts us, but also strong rebukes that warn us away from being recipients of your wrath. Father, help us to take in all of what you have to say to us and to swallow it and to be changed by it. Father, give us ears to hear, hands to do, and feet to move quickly. In obedience to what you have said in your word. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll just dive in here. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. 
Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, when I was a kid, holidays were a big deal. Uh, We celebrated a lot. And we knew that Christmas was about Jesus' birth and Easter was about his resurrection. But at our house, they were also about presents and candy. Amen? Amen. All right. At Easter, we always got a big Easter basket and it had Easter candy. It had a variety of jelly beans and marshmallow peeps and uh, chocolate stuff, and and we would eat ourselves literally sick right before church. Uh, You know, so we were always really tuned into the sermon, right, when we got there. We were in, like, diabetic coma, I think. But (laughs) anyway, uh, one year, I remember we got these giant chocolate bunnies, and, you know, they were, like, two foot tall in this big box, big yellow box, and I thought, man, I have got enough chocolate to last me till at least Halloween, this is going to be fantastic, you know. Halloween is like the next high holy day on the kid calendar, right? You go plunder your neighbors for all of their candy. And, you know, I kind of have a one-track mind as a, as a little kid. Get candy, get candy, get candy, right? And, um, and, I, and I open this thing up, and I think this is going to be fantastic. Two feet of solid milk chocolate is great. I take a bite, and guess what? It's not solid. It's hollow. So disappointed, right? And it was just a hollow shell. It looked impressive on the outside, but inside there was nothing. There was just nothing. And in the same way, it is possible for a person to profess faith in Jesus Christ and to look very good on the outside but for there to be nothing inside of real and eternal life. And as I said, one of the people I have benefited from reading is Kevin DeYoung, and he says that there are three, and I found this to be true in your Bible, three tests to know whether or not you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Very simple. The first one is the theological test. This is the one that gets emphasized over and over and over. The theological test is this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life? That's the theological test. So when Paul is asked, Paul and Silas are asked by the Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 16, Brothers, what must I do to be saved? What do they tell him? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. That's true. It's a theological test. There's also, if you read your Bible carefully, there's also the relational test. This one shows up in 1 John quite a bit. It also shows up on the lips of Jesus. Jesus says, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you do what? Love one another. 
John says it this way, First um, uh, John uh, chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For he cannot love God whom he has not seen if he does not love his brother whom he has seen. So there's a relational test to whether your faith is real. Do you love the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? And if the answer is no, you are not a believer. Because those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God also love the people of God. And there is one more test, and that's the one that the author of Hebrews is highlighting for us here. And that is the moral test. The moral test. Do you strive to obey God and His commands? Or are you deliberately continuing in sin and rebellion? Let me make it very, very clear. A so-called Christian who continues to deliberately live in sin and rebellion against God is not a Christian. They will not be in heaven. They do not know God. They are not Christians. They are not saved. And by the way, let me make that very clear. That does not mean that they lost their salvation. That is never the question in the Scriptures, whether a person can lose their salvation. No one ever used to have everlasting life. I had everlasting life, but I lost it somewhere. Okay, that is not what the Scripture teaches, but it does question whether or not someone who continues in deliberate rebellion against God on a continual basis, in fact, ever possessed eternal life to start with. And the answer of Hebrews is, no, they did not. No, they did not. Look at the Scripture with me. I want to prove this to you. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Let me clarify again what that does not mean. It does not mean that a Christian becomes sinless. In this life, there is no sinless perfection. But it does mean that Christians are people who sin less. They are not sinless, but they do sin less than they used to. That there is meant to be a progression in holiness. And there is meant to be a definite difference between a person who follows Jesus and a person who does not. And therefore, a person who knows Jesus, that's what it means by coming to the knowledge of the truth. That if they, can, if they know, they should not c- commit a particular sin, and they choose to do it anyway, and choose to do it repeatedly, and without repentance, that those people are lost. They are not Christians. That's what it means. 
You know, whenever I share the gospel with somebody, I know they're starting to get the idea behind grace when I tell them. They, 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 they tell, I tell them about the gospel, and they listen to me, and they say this thing. This is, this is where you know you've explained grace the right way. When they say, do you mean to tell me that you can get saved, and you can do whatever you want? And I will say to them, no, you may not do whatever you want. You may do whatever pleases God because you are saved not to please yourself, but to please the Lord. But it does mean that grace extends so far that anyone can come into faith uh, in Jesus. Amen. That grace reaches low enough that nobody can sink underneath it. But it also means that a transformed life, that to be reborn is to have a new life. And if if nothing has changed since you received new life, it's because nothing has changed and you have not received new life. The Bible says over and over and over and over that a person who claims to be a Christian and continues in sin is a liar. He is not a Christian. Having new life means putting the old life to death. And the writer of Hebrews here in verse 26 is drawing a parallel between the Old Testament law and the new covenant under which we live. See, under the old, under the old covenant, you had two kinds of sin. You had unintentional sin for which you could offer sacrifice at the temple and have your sin forgiven. You could, you could go to the priest and you could confess what you had done unintentionally that you violated the law of God and received forgiveness. But then there was another kind of sin. And it was called sin with a high hand. Now all of you have seen this if you're parents or if you have been around little kids. When they say this to you, this is what this is, okay? When they look up at you with their little faces and they say... I'm not going to do it, and you can't make me. Now, in my house, that kid is about to have a cataclysm of of experience that will change that viewpoint, right? Um, But because that is deliberate out-and-out rebellion, right? That is shaking your fist at the authority over you and saying, I'm going to do what I want right? That is what the writer of Hebrews has in mind, of someone who has received the Word of God, who knows better than to do what they are about to do, and says, I'm going to do what I want to do to the Lord. Now, one of two things is possible. Either that person is an authentic child of God, in which case the shepherd of the flock is going to come over the hill with his stick, and proceed them to beat them up one side and down the other back into repentance. Or he is going to leave them alone because they are not his sheep. And what will happen is that person will, between the day that they decide to rebel against God and whatever the outcome is, have increasingly biblical reason to doubt that they ever knew Christ. 
And so if you decide to rebel against God deliberately and with your upraised, upraised arm, just go ahead and pray right now that the shepherd comes and beats you, because that will mean you are the child of God. <laughs> okay. But if he never comes for you, it's because you were never his. And that is a terrible thing. In fact, Hebrews tells us exactly how terrible it is. It says, no sacrifice for sin is left. Why not? Because you have rejected the one sacrifice that was made that could cover your sin and rebellion. You've said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so God says, okay, you can have nothing to do with Jesus. We do not belong to, if we continue sinning deliberately, it's because we do not belong to Christ. And therefore, there is no sacrifice for that. Jesus cannot cover your willful rebellion against Him. Your rejection of Him cannot cover that. And as a result, we get verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now let me make this again really, really clear. When I was growing up, I heard, I don't know where, but I heard there were kind of three groups of, Christ, of, of, of people in the world. That there were spiritual Christians, that there were unbelievers, and then in the middle there was this third category called carnal Christians. In other words, people who believe in Jesus but go ahead and live in sin. According to your Bible, these kinds of people are like the Loch Ness Monster. That they are a, that they are a person whose existence is widely reported, but for which no conclusive evidence has ever been found. There, in other words, is no such thing Biblically speaking, as a carnal Christian, you either are a Christian and you live to please the Lord, or you are an unbeliever. There isn't a third category. And we dare not invent one. What this says is, the fury of fire and God's judgment, what that says is, if you are a person who lives in rebellion against God, that you are not a Christian and you will go to hell. And in case anyone missed the point, the writer of Hebrews underlines it for us even more in verses 28 to 31. They're a form of argument, verses, first two verses, 28-29, are a form of argument from the lesser to the greater. The law of Moses is the lesser thing, and those who deliberately violated its covenant were put to death on the testimony of at least two witnesses. In other words, if two people saw you do deliberate violation of God's law, you could be put to death. And so the writer of Hebrews asks this question. He says, what do the people who deliberately continue in sin under the new covenant, what kind of judgment do they come under and why? And he says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who does these three things? Look at what they do. They spurn the Son of God, meaning they reject Him as Lord. 
they profane the blood of the covenant. In other words, they treat Jesus' sacrifice for them on the cross as a meaningless thing. And number three, they outrage the spirit of grace. They were offered new life and they claimed to receive it, but they showed by their actions that they had rejected it. What will God do with people who do that? Tells us, verse 30 and 31, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In other words, instead of Jesus receiving the penalty for your sins, you will receive the penalty for your sins. It's a strong, strong warning. And I want us all to not diminish it in any way because God is speaking through His Word to us. And He is telling us that if we continue in rebellion against Him, we are facing judgment. And it is the Word of grace to us Because it is God telling us how we can escape from that as well. He's going to do that in in the next section. But he's warning us of how bad the situation is. You know, one of the the books that's come out in recent years is called Good to Great, about companies that went from being good companies to being great companies. And the first principle they tell you is, you've got to face the brutal facts. In other words, you've got to look at reality as it really is. And that's what this section of this chapter is about. It is encouraging us to face the brutal facts. That apart from new life in Christ, we are lost forever. And therefore, we need to make sure that the life we have in Christ is the real deal. Amen? We need to not have spent our life for cubic zirconia. We need to make sure we have the pearl of great price in our possession. We need to give our life to follow Jesus. Now, along with that strong warning, there's some good encouragement in these verses as well. Last part of the chapter here, beginning of verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened... You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward." For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Now, here's what's going on in this text. The writer of Hebrews doesn't actually think that his warning applies to his readers. 
He is saying to them, I look at your life and I look at the evidence that I see and I think that you are genuine Christians. How do I know? Well, if you hadn't been, you wouldn't have done the things that you did before when you were under persecution. And look at what they did. It says, verse 32, they endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They suffered for their faith in Jesus. How many of us could say that? They suffered for their faith in Jesus. Verse 33, sometimes they were exposed to public humiliation, and sometimes they watched friends and ministry partners go through the same thing. Verse 34, they, joy, they went to visit their brothers and sisters when they were imprisoned for their faith, and they joyfully accepted the seizure of their possessions. How many of us, if it came down to it, would gladly give up our bank accounts and our houses and our cars because we follow Jesus? These people did. And they did it joyfully. Like the apostles in Acts where it says they rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer on account of the name of Jesus. And why did they do that? Verse 34 tells us. Because they knew in their hearts they had a better inheritance waiting for them. Oh, you think you can take my car and like that's a big deal? I'm going to glory. You can put me in prison? Well, you know, I'm just going to start marking the days, you know, because I'm out of here one way or the other. And when I get out of here, I'm going to a home much better than the one you're going to have, big guy. <laughs> so let me tell you about glory, because that's where I'm going. And I may be in a prison cell now, and I may be chasing rats for fast food, but at the same time, I'm going to glory. And so they joyfully accepted that. So what has happened to them? How come, how, why is it he's having to warn them so strongly about continuing in sin? Because they're tired. They're sick of being persecuted and humiliated, and they just want to rest from the whole mess. And they've discovered that they will just go back to their former life if they'll just go back to the way things used to be, that everything will get smooth. I won't have all the pain in my life right now. It'll all come to an end. If I just renounce Jesus and go back to my old life. Now, is that tempting? You bet it is. You bet it is. If I just blend in, then no one will notice me, and I won't get persecuted anymore, and I won't pay any cost for following Jesus anymore. Is that a temptation? Yeah. And yet, the scripture tells us here we can't do that. Look at verse 5, verse 35. 
What's it tell us to do? It says, do not throw away your confidence. In other words, don't toss aside your faith in Christ that made you courageous in the past. Don't do that. Look at verse 36. You have need of endurance so that when you, when you have done the will of God, you might receive what is promised. In other words, you've got to hang in there. You've got to hang in there because your reward is coming. I don't know how many of you all are on Facebook, but every now and then you see this meme come across, and it's got a picture of some beautiful cabin or some lake house or whatever somewhere, and they say things like, would you live in this house for a month for $100,000 if you had to give up Facebook, your phone, and social media. And I'm like, where do I sign up? <laughs> right? Get out your checkbook, bud. I'm moving in today. Right? Because, I mean, I mean, the cost of that for 100K, uh, yeah, no, not a problem. I'll be, I'll be retiring. Right? Not, not a big deal. For 100,000 a month, you bet. Um. And yet that reward for that small cost is not even proportional to what the Scripture talks about with reference to you and I. That we are experiencing right now temporary affliction, but it is not worthy to be compared with the weight of glory that is coming for us. And, and Hebrews is saying, look, remember that when you've done the will of God, when it's all over, when the king and the pawn are all put back in the same box, and it's all over, you will receive what is promised. And what is promised is beyond imagination. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? And he's saying, look, hang in there. The reward is going to be so worth it. And everyone who is now persecuting you for your faith in Jesus will one day offer everything they have ever had in this life to swap places with the lowest one of us. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't go back to your former life. He says, because, and he quotes here the book of Habakkuk. How many of you did your devotions in Habakkuk this morning? Just go ahead and shoot your hand up. All right. This is from the book of Habakkuk in your Old Testament, minor prophet. And he says, the coming one is coming and will not delay. And my righteous one shall live by faith. But if he shrinks back, I will have no pleasure in him. How long, let me ask you, did Israel wait between God's promise to Abraham of a land and when they actually entered in under Joshua, how many years was it? Anybody know? Over 500. You go back 500 years in the history of our country, and you get back uh, almost to Columbus. Five hundred years, the people of God waited. But what happened when Joshua came? They crossed over Jordan. 
into the promised land. And I did do my devotions in Joshua this last week. And you know what it says twice? Not one of God's promises failed. Every single one came to pass. And do you know what? Joshua is in your Bible as a type of Jesus. In fact, their name is virtually the same in Hebrew. Joshua, Jesus, Yahweh saves is what both of their names mean. And Jesus is the true and greater Joshua who is coming to lead us into the true promised land and not one of God's promises will fall to the ground. They will all be fulfilled. Amen? And so you want to live your life such that when Messiah comes, and He is coming soon, when Messiah comes, that you don't do like my siblings and I used to do. My mother is here. She can verify this. Okay, She would give us a list of things to do. When she was gone, she would go shopping or whatever, and, and she would say, while I am gone, my wife does the same thing with our kids, do these things. And when I return, blessed will be those who are found doing the Master's will. Right? And, and if you had not, be dishonor and contempt for you, right? And so... If we had been screwing around and not, not doing what we were supposed to do, when we saw mom's car in the driveway, we did not run to meet her. Amen? <laughs> we may have run, but it wasn't her direction. <laughs> right? We did not do that. We were those who shrank back and were destroyed. <laughs> right? <laughs> in the wrath to come. And, and Hebrews is telling us, you've got a choice. You can either follow Jesus all the way and line up your profession with your possession of genuine life and live for Jesus no matter what it costs because He is coming and His reward is with Him. Or you can rebel against God, blend into the culture, fit right into the people around you, go back to your old life, and when the Messiah comes, be among those who shrink back and are destroyed. And he says, but we are not among those who are shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are looking for the reward to come. Amen? Now, two things here as I close real quickly. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Believers in Christ sin and unbelievers sin, but a believer repents and turns away from sin, and he does not continue practicing rebellion against God. Because if he does, he shows himself not to be of the faith. And so if you are a person who claims to know Christ, you need to ask yourself, are there any areas of my life where I am allowing myself to continue deliberately practicing sin? And if there are, what needs to happen is you need to repent 
The biblical word repent means to turn around, to go the other direction from the way you've been going. To say, I have been going to San Francisco, but heaven is toward New Hampshire, and I need to go the other direction. I need to turn around from the way I have been going that will lead to destruction and death. And I need to find life through repentance and confession and faith in Jesus. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. In one way, you turn away from your old life, and on the other, as you turn, you're turning toward Jesus and following Him. So be killing sin, or, be, or it will be killing you. And number two, endure in faith. Because the Lord is coming for us. And I know that life can get hard. And it can get disappointing and distressing and painful and agonizing. And there can be a lot from our standards of suffering to go along with the life we live down here. But the Lord is coming. And His reward with Him and glory awaits us. And it will be glory of, of such a kind and to such a degree that we cannot even speak of them in the same sentence as the suffering we endure now. So endure in faith until the Lord comes or until He calls you home. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your great grace to us, which invites us into heaven through a, a hard road, but invites us into heaven as we put our trust in you and promises us glory and majesty and honor and renewed life and renewed bodies and fellowship with one another and with you for all eternity because Jesus is the reward toward which we look. And yet, Father, you also, by your grace, warn us away from the judgment to befall those who live their lives in rebellion against you. Father, may no one here in this room ever be among them. May we all repent of sin and turn to Jesus and receive salvation and live for him all the days of our life until you come or you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.